You are listening to The Gospel for Geeks. I'm Father Roderick, and this is a recording of my Sunday homily. You can find more information about the Bible readings in the show notes. I think it must have been in 2019, maybe 2020, definitely before the outbreak of COVID, that I was streaming on YouTube, uh, me building this huge Lego set. It was a secondhand set that I got for a very good price on eBay of the Millennium Falcon. It's one of the most coveted Lego sets and uh, I, didn't, I didn't have the, the newer one, but the older one. And uh, uh, it, is, it is one of the biggest Lego sets out there. It's got thousands and thousands and thousands of elements. And it was an arduous build. And every week, whenever I had a few hours, I would turn on the stream and I would start building this thing. And it is a very technical build. So you don't get that gratification you get from other Lego builds where you, 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 you build a little scene and you put the minifigures in there and you're like, oh, that's cute. And then you continue with the next room. The, the Falcon, it's all structure. It's all very, very, it, because it's such a huge, I mean, the set, I want, first wanted to put it here on the altar, but it's like the entire, the entire table. So <laughs> it's so big, but, the, but in order to keep together, you, you're spending a lot of time just doing all this technical stuff. So it gets, you know, a certain solidity. And so for a long time, you don't really know what you're building. It's only at the very last moment that everything comes together and you're like, oh, wow, yeah, that is the Millennium Falcon. But because of that, it made it even harder to build because you, you have to find all these elements. And this was a secondhand set. So it came to me already completely deconstructed. And so I had to look for, for, you know, I need this piece and I need that piece. Where am I going to find it? And there were just all these separate containers with Lego and I had to search. I mean, that alone took so much time to find the exact piece to follow the instructions so that it would fit in the right place. And then one, one evening, I was, again, built, working on this very important fundamental like base structure that would carry the weight of the rest of the of the falcon and it was just this one piece of lego that i couldn't find it was this one i don't even know it was a rectangular piece and i was looking everywhere and i couldn't find it and it was frustrating because i was streaming live and it's like looking under the table and i would disappear and I, i just couldn't find it and uh and people on 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 the stream they were telling me well just Take another color, just do, and I was like, no, 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 I need to have this particular one. I get very, very upset when, when it doesn't fit together. And I know, because it's Lego, it's always my fault. It's never the fault of the instructions. And so I just could not find that one piece that I needed for the integral, integral what is it, the integrity of the, of the build. And so I just stopped. <laughs> and then the next morning, I found it. And you know how? I had closed the curtains in the room the evening before. And so I stepped into the room with my bare feet. You know what's coming. And I wanted to open the curtains. And then all of a sudden, I had absolutely found that one little... Oh, here it is. 
And I, there was a mixture of frustration, but also of joy. Like, I knew you were there. I knew you were somewhere. And, oh boy, just the, 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 the way I had to discover it was quite painful. We've all been there, right? <laughs> this is exactly what the readings of today are all about. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. And he wants to change their mentality because they've been really ranting about Jesus. He was okay when he was still playing the conventional role of the rabbi who would preach at the synagogue, who would, you know, teach the same kind of stuff that they were teaching. But the moment that Jesus goes across the, the boundaries and he starts to talk to beggars and to sinners and to, you know, people that don't belong, according to these scribes and Pharisees, they start to talk behind his back. And Jesus knows that they're judging all these people that are not following the rules, that are outcasts in a certain way. And he tells them actually three parables. I read two because of the length. The third one is the parable of the, of the prodigal son. But these three parables in a row all convey the same thing, that God is not just valuing what he has, the current members of his family, but he has even more care and even more love for the ones that have gotten away, that have fallen off the, the wagon, so to speak. And he, Jesus uses these examples to teach these Pharisees to have compassion and to not look on the people that are lost as discarded and no longer useful, no longer worth your time, but as people that are even more important than the ones that are already part of your family. The first reading that we've heard in this Mass of Moses tells a similar story. And it's, it's interesting, Moses is praying on the mountain. He's been leading his people through the desert for a while now. And, and in the beginning, that was easy because they were all still very, it was very fresh, that memory of the slavery in Egypt. They had been pursued by, by the Egyptians and Moses had, had, had opened a way through the Red Sea. And, but then over time, they start to, to forget where they came from and they start to complain and like, is God still with us? And then every once in a while, Moses just climbs this mountain, maybe a bit like parents who are just fed up with these children, always asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No, we still have 38 years to go. Well, Moses didn't know that at the time, but there's still a long way to go. And so he goes on the mountain to just, just be alone, just have some peace of mind. And, and that's where he, he converses with God. And then it's interesting what the story does. The story says that God is telling Moses, hey, you'd better go down there because they're making a mess of things. They've created this golden calf and they're worshiping this idol instead of worshiping me. And, and he tells Moses, you know what? Let me just, you stay here. I'll just, I'll fix this. I am going to send down my wrath and I will punish them and I will. And then Moses in this story is portrayed as the one who intervenes and says, well, God, remember that these are, these are your people. Yeah, they messed up. Yes. But, but, but remember what, what, what you promised Abraham and his descendants. That's these people. You have to take care of them. You have to have patience. And of course, that doesn't really jive with the image that Jesus gives us of God. 
and, and oftentimes these two are, are kind of put in contrast, like the God of the Old Testament who was so impatient and so vengeful. And then you've got the nice, cuddly God of Jesus of the New Testament who's much more understanding. That would be, I think, misinterpreting the role of this story. Because obviously God hasn't changed between the time of Moses and the time of Jesus. But maybe, maybe we have changed. And so this is all about the internal struggle of Moses. Moses is the one who must have felt so frustrated that everything he invested in this people seemed to be for nothing. Have you not understood anything I try to teach you? And Moses must have felt that, that you know, idea like, I need to go down and tell them what I think, what I really think. And maybe I should just start, start, start anew and just walk away from these you know, ungrateful people. But God teaches Moses to be patient. And so what Moses says about God, it's, in fact, it's the, it's the opposite. This says a lot about what's going on in, in Moses and his struggle. And the reason that the story presents it in this way is that God ultimately validates the other approach. God changes his mind in the story and he's like, okay, I will not punish them. I will have patience. They're too valuable for me. Even if they are currently doing the opposite of what I want them to do, I still care for them. I will continue to walk with them. And the reason that the story lets God make that decision is that then it, is, it, it, it shows us that that is what God wants. God doesn't want punishment. He ultimately, at the end of this story, wants mercy. And this brings me to the gospel where Jesus is trying to tell the same story to the Pharisees. You are so easy. You're so quick to judge. But you know what? Those sinners that you condemn, in God's eyes, they're as valuable as a sheep. And a sheep was expensive and valuable and, you know... You could say, well, you've got a hundred sheep, but one sheep, you could sell that on the market and feed your kids and for a long time. Plus, the sheep gives you wool and... No, it's, it's, it's... even if that sheep has walked away, I'm going after it as a good shepherd. But the, same, the same idea is in this story about this woman who loses the silver coin and she searches the whole house until she found it. But the reason that you, Jesus uses an example with money is to say, and that's, I think, what's so important, that that coin has value to the woman. That's why she keeps searching. Just as much as these sinners are valuable in God's eyes, they don't only become valuable once they rejoin the community. As if the moment you step out, you're no, you don't, no longer count. That's how the Pharisees are looking at other people. But for God, even if we walk away, even if we're not exactly there yet, we're still of unmeasurable value to Him. And that is why He goes after us. That is why He doesn't discard people, saying, oh, well, whatever, you know. Thankfully, I still have my little flock here. Thankfully, I, I can count my coins. But you know what? The reason that this is such an important reading is that that is a temptation for us as well. And also for the church as well to talk about people that are 
not close to us, are not a, a member of our community or our circle of friends, of our culture, that don't share our values, we often build walls to defend us against them. It was like, well, you're not like us. You don't belong. You, you, we don't understand your choices. You, you are doing the wrong thing, so get out of here. But I think these, these, these readings challenge us to adopt a different, more merciful attitude. And to always look at the value that these people have in God's eyes. No one is ever lost. God will not stop searching for us until he finds us. And we should have that same attitude. But unfortunately, oftentimes, Christians and the church and church leaders are, are doing the same as what these Pharisees do. They reject anyone who's not following the rules. And they kind of look down upon them. Or, more in a veiled way, they say, you know, you only count if you do what I tell, what I tell you to do. You only have value if you repent and return to me. But that's not what the gospel says. That's not what Jesus says here. That's not what the, 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 the story of the prodigal son tells us. As if that son, you know what? The only one in that story of the prodigal son who makes that kind of judgment is the older brother. It's like, he's no longer my brother. You know, it's, it's your son. I don't want anything to do with him. But for the father, even though the son had walked away and had done the worst of the worst, for the father, it was still his son. He still wanted him back. And that's how God looks at us. And that's how we should always look at one another. Even if it's people that we don't understand, people that make choices that we cannot follow, even if they don't want to listen to us, they still have value. They are still our brother and si or sister. And one day, hopefully, through God's mercy, we will all be together as one family. So if God wants us to be united, why do we make division? Why do we cast out people? Why do we build walls around our little cozy community? Why do we judge the world around us? I think if we start to do what Jesus asks us, challenges us to do here in the gospel, I think people would change their, their, their own judgment of the church. Because oftentimes when you talk with people who have walked away from the church, it's because they've been hurt by a church, church that discarded them, that judged them, that said to them, get out, we, we don't want you anymore. And that's the worst that can happen. If you feel like... Like a, like a Lego brick that is ultimately replaceable. It doesn't, doesn't matter. You, pff, you fell off the table, let me get a new one. But every Lego brick counts in God's eyes because he needs you for the overall solidity of, of, his, of what he's trying to build. The kingdom of God cannot miss one single brick. Maybe a cornerstone, maybe just a little ornament. For God, every brick counts. Thank you for listening to the Gospel for Geeks. You can join me live for Mass every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central European Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Follow me on social media at Father Roderick for a link to the live stream. If you want to contribute to this ministry, go to fatheroderick.com donate.